Um, it was nominated uh, for Best Motion Picture at, and Best Director at this year's Golden Globes. Uh, I read an article this morning that said that it's most likely going to be nominated for 10 different categories at the Oscars, right? And so, so it's definitely a film that, that the critics and the people are saying, this is a great film, right, even though it's shock art. Uh, it's been nominated for Movie of the Year and one Movie of the Year in any number of different um, film societies. And so it's critically acclaimed, and it's being seen by a lot of people. So if it's being seen by a lot of people, we as Christians, I think, ought to uh, understand what this movie is about. The other thing that's interesting about this movie, Mad Max Fury Road, it was directed um, and written by George Miller, who is a fantastic um, producer, fantastic director, right? And what's interesting is this movie has been in production for 20 years. When he first wrote the movie and tried to put it out, he was 50 years old. That was 20 years ago. When it came out, he's actually, he was actually 70. And so this is the product of a 70-year-old uh, filmmaker. Now, one more little bit of information about this that I think is very interesting if anybody can name the last three films or movies that George Miller uh, produced and directed, I will give you a gift card to Starbucks. Can anybody raise your hand and tell me the last three movies that George Miller directed and produced? Anyone? Okay. Again, this is shock art. These are the last three movies that he did. Okay. Let's go to the next screen. He did Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> From Mad Max Fury Road to Happy Feet. I don't even get that. And he did... Babe, Pig in the City. I, what in the world? I don't know. Anyway, so just to let you know that this guy's got amazing range in his, uh, you know, in his producership. Anyway, so a quick recap. The story of Mad Max is like so many other sort of post-apocalyptic movies, right? The world has been scorched, right? The earth is scorched. There's nothing green left <clears throat> because you know, there's been an atomic bomb or a nuclear bomb, and there's only a few people left on the earth. And those people that are left on the earth have strange growths and lots of tattoos. And of course, they're riding around in awesome, you know, automotive vehicles that have been completely, you know, decked out, whatever. Anyway, and so in the midst of all of this sort of post-apocalyptic world, there's only a few people left. And, and there's really one overarching uh, sort, of, uh, sort of narrative through the movie, and that's that what's ruling the day is this view of survival of the fittest, Right. In a world without God, in a world with no hope, the only real thing you can do is try to survive. It's survival of, of the fittest, right? And so essentially the world is ruled by a couple of different powerful warlords and they control resources. So one controls water and one controls gas. Another one controls something else. And they enslave everyone um, because again, it's survival of the fittest. It's the powerful who simply survive here. In this world, in this narrative, uh, there at the beginning, what you see, if you see the movie, is that a group of war boys, right, who are led by this evil, you know, warlord named Immortan Joe, uh, this group of war boys capture Mad Max, and Mad Max is on the run, right? He's simply trying to survive, and they enslave him along with all of these other slaves in the movie. That's one of the main themes, but several scenes later, we're introduced to another character. It was played by Charlize Theron. And she's essentially a general in his arm, army. Her name is Furiosa. And in it, she actually is in a position of power and uses her position of power um, in order to try to rescue someone, right? And so the body of this movie is essentially this chase scene that goes out into the desert looking for um, a place of hope. And then the return. And the major themes in this movie are slavery, their hope, and ultimately the main theme in this movie is redemption, which is what we're going to take a look at uh, in one moment after I pray I'm going to show you guys a clip, um, or actually, it's actually the trailer from the movie Mad Max Fury Road. Let's take a moment. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your world. Um, I thank you that we cannot escape meaning. We can't escape truth. That, Father, the, uh, the most um, decrepit art still reveals something about your grace and your mercy and your beauty and your omnipotence. Father, I thank you that the most beautiful art does the same. And Father, I pray that we would take all of this general revelation and that it would proclaim to us your glory. Father, I pray that even as we watch this clip today and as we read your word, um, that we would ultimately be moved to trust in you as our good father and your son as our savior. And so, Father, we pray all these things today in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, see, that's a pretty exciting clip right there. You know what I mean? Like, I cut out 15 seconds of it because someone I respect immensely said, you might not want to show that first section of the clip in case there are young people in here who get scared and have nightmares. Anyway, so that was wise. I appreciate that person's insight. But again, what you saw there um, is in the midst of the carnage, in the midst of the explosions, in the midst of the shocking imagery is really a central message. And that message is redemption, right? And in fact, if you think about it, that story there, the carnage, the shockingness, the explosions, the depravity, all of that sounds a lot like the Old Testament. <laughs> it really does, right? All you have to think about is Exodus and this picture of redemption. All you have to think about is Daniel and slavery, redemption. The book of Judges, every man's doing what's right in his own eyes, redemption. Think about the New Testament. Think about the Jews living under Roman rule, right? Under slavery, redemption, right? Everything looks bleak. It's simply survival of the fittest. And yet, each of those messages from the Old Testament and the New Testament point to the ultimate redemption, the deeper story of redemption, of us being bought out of the slavery of sin and brought back into a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. Listen to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 is written by Paul, and this is a, a book of the Bible where the central message is really this idea of grace, this idea of justification and redemption being bought back. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will or must live by them. Got to do it all. Got to keep everything perfectly. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, we'll talk about that in a minute, might come to the Gentiles, that's us, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See that? Redemption. Redemption. This morning in all of the elements done uh, by Ryan and by David Slade, this redemption, redemption, this, this biblical message of redemption. It's one of the clearest messages in all of Scripture. In some respects, it's what Scripture's all about, right? So let me tell you this really quickly. The Heidelberg uh, Catechism has these three great questions. And one of the first questions um, that it asks us is, what is my sin and misery? And so when we read Scripture, whether it's Galatians chapter 3 or Exodus chapter 14, we're to ask these three questions. The first one is, what's my sin and misery? Or what sin and misery do I see in this passage of Scripture? Why is the Scripture talking to me? What's my brokenness that the Scripture is addressing? What's my sin and misery? And here's what we see in chapter 10, is we see the sin and misery for each of us in Galatians chapter 3 is that we're tormented 
by our failures. We're tormented by our failures. Listen to verse 10. Verse 10 says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, right? You're under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, right? In other words, you're cursed unless you do it all, right? You're cursed unless you do it perfectly. You're cursed if you mess up in one little place at one little point in your life. And so when we read these phrases, works of the law and book of the law, each are surely really hearkening back to the Ten Commandments. You guys are familiar with the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And essentially, Jesus in the New Testament is talking about the book of the law. And what he says is this. He says, the summary of the Ten Commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what the law is all about. And so part of what Galatians chapter 3 is talking about is he's, it's basically saying, if you've failed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're cursed. Guess what? Nobody in this room loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm a professional Christian. It's what I do, right? I know for a fact that I don't come close to loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I know you don't either, right? And, and the second half of the Ten Commandments is this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. It's what Jesus says is the second half of the Ten Commandments. Guess what? You don't do that either. You've all failed miserably. You haven't come close. You're under a curse apart from Jesus, right? And so am I. If you're under the law, you're under that curse. If you're honest, you, we have to admit that we failed miserably and that ultimately obeying these commandments is impossible, okay? Obeying those commandments, the book of the law, the curse of the law is that it's impossible. And honestly, if we're truly honest with ourselves and honest with other people, we've got to admit that our default mode, your default mode, my default mode, is to use the works of the law, to use the works of the law for the purpose of self-redemption. That's what we're really ultimately doing is we try to keep the law. We try to obey the works of the law. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to redeem ourselves. Guess what? When you do that, you're haunted by your failure, right? You either try to cope with it and cover it up in, you know, in you know, method A, B, or C, right? Or you're just destroyed by the guilt of it, but you're haunted by the failure of self-redemption. What's interesting is in this story, Mad Max Fury Road, there are three sort of main protagonists, okay? And uh, the first one is Furiosa. We're going to talk about her in a minute. Then there's a character named Nux. We'll talk about him in a second. And then Max, right? Each of them sort of is a picture of the failure of self-redemption. And so Max, at this one scene, is speaking to Furiosa. Here she is. And uh, they're riding through the desert in this giant war machine. And uh, they've rescued these people who were in slavery. And Mad Max turns to Furiosa and he says, what about you? What are you looking for? And she says, redemption. And then she looks out the window with this faraway look on her face. And it's evident that there's been some deep and massive failure in her life. And she's trying to make up for it by rescuing these slaves. She's trying to take them to this place of hope, sort of an Edenic reference called the green place. And when they get there, it's gone. It's disappeared. And she's failed once again at redemption. It derives her, right? Then there's the character Nux. He's this incredibly um, dermatologically scarred human being here. Again, this is post-apocalyptic. He said he has radiation eating at him. Anyway, and so Nux is this little character. He starts off the movie as a bad guy. And, uh, and as the movie progresses, we see that what he's ultimately striving for is self-redemption, right? He, he's trying to save himself. He's trying to buy himself out 
of his failure. There's one scene in the movie after he's failed miserably three times, overtly, publicly, and he's talking to one of the, the slave girls whose name is Capable in the movie. Um, uh, and he, he, they basically have this next dialogue. It says this, she asks him, what are you doing here? And he is sobbing, he's crying. He says, he saw it, he saw it all. He's speaking of a Morton Joe, the guy that has the power to send him to Valhalla in the course of this movie. And he begins banging his head on the floor. And she says, stop it, stop it. And he says, Nux says to her, he says, three times the gates were open to me. Three times the gates were open to me. And she says, what gates? He says, I was awaited in Valhalla. They were calling my name. I should be walking with the Immortan or feasting with the heroes of our time. In other words, what he's saying is, I had three opportunities to redeem myself, three opportunities for self-redemption, and I failed, right? And he's haunted by the failure of his attempt to redeem himself. It's impossible, right? The last character we see here is Mad Max, all of them with the same theme, the failure of self-redemption. The opening sort of scene of the movie begins with this dialogue. It says this, it says, my name is Max, my world is fire and blood. Once I was a cop, a road warrior searching for a righteous cause. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy, me or everyone else. Here they come again, worming their way into the black matter of my brain. I told myself, they can't touch me, they're all dead. And then he goes on to say, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead, hunted by scavengers, haunted by those I could not protect, right? In the first movie, his um, wife and child die. He can't save them. And he's, he's tormented and haunted by the guilt of not being able to save them. There's two other movies um, in the Mad Max. There's, there's four total. Mad Max Fury Road is the fourth. And throughout all of them, there's this failure of Mad Max to be able to accomplish self-redemption. And so eventually, he ends up just giving up hope. In fact, there's a great line in the movie where he says, hope is a mistake, right? Hope and self-redemption is a mistake. He's haunted by his failures, The character Nux is haunted by his failures at self-redemption. Furiosa is haunted by her failure at self-redemption. It's impossible. Many of us in this room are haunted by our failures as well. And guess what? You should be, right? You should be. Your failure to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, your strength is actually a worse failure than you realize, right? You don't actually understand how grievous a sin that actually is. Right? You should be haunted by that failure. Many of you in this room have failed to love your brother, your sister. Many of you in this room have failed to love your neighbor as yourself, and you're haunted by that failure. And guess what? You should be, right? Because the failure to obey the law, the failure to love your neighbor as yourself is actually worse than you think it is, right? It's actually worse. You should be haunted. You should be tormented by your failure to keep the law. It's the curse. You're tormented by your failures, right? Remember the Heidelberg Catechism, that first question is, what's your sin and misery? Your sin and misery is it just does not take long to look around you, to think about those times in your life. There are events I know for each of you where if you close your eyes and think about it, you're just overwhelmed with shame, right? You're just overwhelmed with guilt. You're haunted by it, right? And if you're not, it's because you've coped it away, like you've buried it down deep, but I guarantee it's there. You know it's there as well. What's your sin and misery? Your sin and misery is you're haunted by your failure, right? Haunted. What's interesting is the next question in the Heidelberg Catechism is, what's your hope? What's our only hope in life and in death? Or in other words, how is grace the solution to your failure? Well, the way that grace is the solution to your failure, or what your hope is, is that we're offered redemption from the curse of the law, 
right? That's what verses 13 and 14 say in this uh, passage of Galatians. Galatians 13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? What's our sin and misery? We're tormented by our failures. What's our hope? Our hope is that we're offered redemption by Jesus, through Jesus, right? He became what he wasn't willing for us to become. He became a curse. He took upon himself the punishment that should have been ours. We're told in this passage, verses 13 and 14, we're told that Christ redeemed us, that Christ has redeemed us. And redemption is always this biblical imagery where slavery is the background. You're in slavery to sin. You're in slavery in Egypt. You're in slavery to your idolatry. You're enslaved. The idea of redemption is always that you're bought out of slavery, right? That you're, uh, that you're basically bought out and you're set free. So Christ has redeemed us. Christ offers you redemption through his work, not through your work. There's no such thing as self-redemption, right? <laughs> if, that's your, if that's your hope, then hope is a mistake. So we see that Christ redeemed us. The second thing we see is that he redeemed us from what? From the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is many things, but three things in particular. The curse of the law is guilt, right? In other words, you look at uh, the Ten Commandments, for example, and when it says, you shall have no other gods before me, automatically, number one, you have to admit you failed. Because ultimately, you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. You've used him as a genie in a bottle, right, to bless your basketball game right? To bless your academic career, to sort of help you get that girl, right? And so you think that all of your prayers and your devotion to him are because you love God because he's great. But in reality, most of us have to admit that we're really using God like a genie in a bottle. We're guilty. We're guilty of breaking the law. And so the curse of the law is guilt. It's also death, right? The curse of the law is that not only physical death, but it's spiritual death. And ultimately, the curse of the law is separation from God, right? It's the story of, of, of Eden, Right? It's the story of being cast out and not having access to God. We were supposed to. We were created to walk with God in the Garden of Eden, to have a relationship with him. The curse of, of sin, the curse of the laws, were separated from God. Listen to Wendell Berry. Some of you guys are familiar with Wendell Berry. This is from his book, The Art of the Commonplace. Wendell Berry, who is most well-known for sort of the physical redemption of the world, says this. He says, I take literally the statement in the Gospel of John that God loves the world. I believe that the world is created and approved by love, that it subsists, coheres, and endures by love, and that insofar as it is redeemable, it can be redeemed only by love. In other words, the story of redemption isn't just individual, but it's, it's the redemption of the world. He goes on to say, I believe that divine love incarnate and indwelling in the world summons the world always towards wholeness, which ultimately is reconciliation and atonement with God. So here's the guy whose entire theme of his writings is about the redemption of the world. And he says, but ultimate redemption, the truest redemption is being brought back into a relationship with God. And so we're saved from the curse, ultimately to a relationship with God. That's what this passage that we read a minute ago, verses 13 and 14 said. It talked about how we're granted the blessing of Abraham, right? And we're granted or promised the spirit, the blessing of Abraham. Do you guys remember what the blessing of Abraham was? I will be your God and you'll be my people, right? Like the whole cast out of Eden thing is gonna be undone. I'm gonna bring you back into a relationship with me, right? 
And not only that, but the promise of the Spirit, no longer does the Spirit live in the temper, temple, no longer does the Spirit live in the tabernacle, but rather 1 Corinthians makes it clear that now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what God is promising, sort of the redemption from the curse of the law is, I'll be your God, you'll be my daughter, right? I'll be your God, you'll be my son. And not only that, but I'll live with you, I'll be with you, and all of this is by grace, right? God doesn't love you because you're beautiful. God makes you beautiful because he loves you, right? So in this movie, again, back to Mad Max, there's the character of Furiosa. And if there is a Christ figure in the movie, it is her, it's Charlize Theron's character. And the reason that she is partially a Christ figure is because she is part of Immortan Joe's army, right? She's essentially a general in his army, and she has a position of power. She has a position of privilege. She could simply keep on riding it out and benefit from all the privileges of her position, but she risks her position in order to save these five concubines, these slaves, in order to rescue them, even though it might cost her her life, right? She risks it all so that she might save them, even though it might risk her her life. And of course, what Furiosa did impurely and imperfectly in the movie, Jesus did perfectly. Jesus did purely. Mark 10, 45 tells us this. Jesus tells us this. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? Jesus didn't have anything to gain personally. He had everything to lose, right? Furiosa knew that she might die. She knew she might die, But Jesus came knowing that he would die. Does that make sense? Jesus came to redeem you from the curse of the law, knowing that it would cost him his life. What's our sin and misery? What's our hope? Ultimately, what's our response to this grace? What's our response? That's the third question the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us. And our response is that we simply have faith in our hero, trust in him. Listen to verses 11 and 14. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. You you can't uphold the commandments, right? You can't uphold the book of the law. You can't do it perfectly, right? You can't be justified by God God, uh, using the law, right? You can't self-redeem, right? That doesn't work. It's a failing proposition. It's by faith. Verse 14, he, that is Jesus, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so essentially this entire movie, Mad Max, is a story of the failure of self-redemption. Mad Max, Nux, Furiosa, all of these characters, all of their attempts at self-redemption have failed over and over and over again. And guess what? In the end, they quit hoping, which is the right response, right? It's the right response for Pharisees. It's the right response for moralists. That's most of us in this room. The right response for all of us is ultimately to give up. That's why Mad Max says, hope is a mistake, right? There's this great scene where they've gone all the way out into the desert and the green place is destroyed. It's no longer there. Eden is destroyed. And Max talks to Furios and he says, hope is a mistake, right? And the same thing is true of self-redemption in the Christian life. Paul in this passage is saying the same thing, right? He's saying, If if you're trying self-redemption, if that's been the way you've tried to sort of be right with God, you should give up because hope in self-redemption is a mistake. So what do we do? The answer is always the same. 
The answer is always the same from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, and the answer is always faith. It's by faith, it's by trusting in Jesus as our Redeemer that we are ultimately saved, redeemed. There's really no greater story of redemption in Scripture than the rescue of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, right? It's the ultimate sort of um, analogy to what's going to happen in Jesus. It's the ultimate story of, of redemption and rescue from slavery. In Exodus chapter 14, there's this great uh, story where what's happened is that Moses has come, right? And on God's behalf, he has drawn the people out of slavery. And as he's leading them to the desert and across the Red Sea, all of a sudden what happens is Pharaoh goes, crud, I just gave up my labor force. What am I thinking? And Pharaoh begins to pursue them. He was going to capture them and bring them back. And starting in verse 10, we see the response of the Hebrews and the response of Moses says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? In other words, they're tempted just to go back. They're like, what have we done? What were we thinking leaving slavery? That was ridiculous, right? And guess what? By the way, that's exactly what we do, right? We look back when we begin to trust in faith and we're like, what am I doing? I need to go back to the law, right? There's a character in the movie who's been rescued from slavery and she tries to go back to, uh, to, to Immortan Joe. She tries to return to slavery. Verse 12 says this, and again, the people continue to complain. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So what's our response to this grace? Is it to go back to the law? Is it to go back and try to continue to try to redeem ourselves, right? To work harder? Going to go out and share the gospel with some people, right? I'm going to go give some money to some poor people. I'm going to go do some stuff. I'm going to be good. I'm going to try to redeem myself. What is your response? Your response is to remember that the Lord will fight for you. The Lord has fought for you, right? You need only to be still. This morning, we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. You know, we, on the right-hand side of the room, we've got bread and wine. On the left-hand side of the room, we've got grape juice and bread. And the Lord's Supper is nothing if not a reminder that God has fought for you, right? In the person of Jesus, he conquered your enemies. You'll never see them again, right? You'll never see them again. There's no more guilt for you if you trust in Christ. There's no more shame if you trust in Christ. Though you may physically die, you will rise again from the dead. God has conquered your enemies through Jesus. You need only to be still and trust by faith in the accomplished work of Christ on your behalf. I'm gonna read the words of institution in just a moment, and then I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna let you uh, receive the Lord's Supper. And as you do so, I want you to think about this, and I want you to think about the declaration of the Lord's Supper. The declaration of the Lord's Supper is where God says, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, right? I have made your record perfect, because what God has done is he took the perfect record of Jesus and he gave it to you. And he took your record of, of, of being haunted by your failures 
and he placed it upon Jesus, and he punished Jesus in your place, conquering sin and death, taking away the curse of the law for you. So whether you feel like it or not, when God looks at you, he sees you as perfect. When God looks at you, he sees you as completely innocent. He has made your record perfect, not only for your past, but also for your present, and even for your future by faith. I'm gonna read the words of institution, I'll pray, and then I'll let you receive the message of redemption communicated through the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, through the power of your spirit that you would proclaim deafeningly uh, to me, um, to the young people in this room, uh, to the seasoned Christians in this room, even, Father, to those people in this room who don't know you, I pray that the proclamation of your redemption of us in Jesus, that it would be deafening. Father, I pray that it would be so deafening that it would drown out our guilt, that it would drown out our fear, that it would drown out our attempts at self-redemption, that the only thing that we would hear is that we have been declared righteous, that you've redeemed us, that you've called us by name, that you've done everything necessary in order for us to be brought back into a relationship with you. Father, let our hope not be in ourselves and in self-redemption, but let our hope be in Jesus, our Redeemer. Father, we pray all of these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, I pray that we would believe um, in your amazing love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive now the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you his peace. Amen.